We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God our Creator, not our government. I believe that Scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is Tuesday, November 7th, and today is a great morning. I have to tell you because today is the first day that I found eggnog in the store. And this is a big deal. I know with everything else going on in the world, this is a big deal because this is officially now the Christmas season. So I have, um, I got this yesterday and I have my coffee with eggnog and there, there are several ways to do this. I mean, you can have coffee and you can put your eggnog in it like creamer, which is what I did this morning. Or if you want to really uh, kind of make it really, really fancy. You can steam your eggnog, cut it with milk if you want to, and then put shots of espresso on top. That's what a lot of the, um, like Starbucks and some of these other places when they used to have um, eggnog lattes would do, and that's very, very rich. Um, but it's a, it's a great thing. And so um, so I just, I, I love that, and I love the Christmas season, and I'm one of those people that uh, believes that we need to start listening to Christmas music as of November 1st, all the way through uh, past New Year's, and that encompasses the entire Christmas season. Thanksgiving is just one of the Christmas season holidays. So it starts on November 1st, which happens to be my birthday. So obviously that's the beginning of Christmas season. And then we go along and we celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve and Christmas and New Year's and Epiphany and all of those things encompass the Christmas season. I know that's very controversial to start out your morning, but um, I had to tell you, I'm just very excited about eggnog. And um, I want to bring in my first guest this morning, which is our very good friend, Ryan Helfenbein, who is the Vice President of Communications at Liberty University and also is uh, the Executive Director of the Standing for Freedom Center. And Ryan, I want to talk about today's elections, but first, what is your stance on eggnog? That's the really important question. Surprisingly, Jenna, I have never tried eggnog. What? I've never had it before. I know. I, I, I don't what? know. You, you might not want to continue this interview. I mean, yeah, I have Je- not Devin, cut eggnog. him off. Cut him off. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know what? I am intrigued, uh, especially with the espresso. If you put espresso in it, I may try it. Yes. Well, okay. So here's my advice. If you yeah. have a steamer and an espresso machine at home, which I'm sure that you and Lauren do, um, then get eggnog and then put about half eggnog, half um, whole milk so that there's not too much eggnog. Steam that and then put in, you know, three shots, two shots of espresso, however you want to do it. And then if you want to be really fancy, top it with a little bit of nutmeg. Totally perfect. So I will follow up on this, Ryan, because this is kind of a okay. big deal. And I'm so glad we started with that because you have lived now 
um, I think almost 40 years without eggnog in your life. And that's just a tragedy, my friend. So we need to remedy that. Can I, can you really be an American and not have eggnog? I I, I don't think so. (laughs) I know. And you're from Kentucky. And I mean, that's where they put even stronger stuff in their eggnog and, you know, uh, and all all of their, all of their drinks and everything. So, I mean, cause that's the other way that, you know, I mean, I, I just put espresso in my eggnog, but um, but speaking of Kentucky, so today, uh, Tuesday, November 7th, uh, we do have elections today in two very important states. And, and there are a number of states that are holding elections today, but two very important governor's races, which include Kentucky and Mississippi. And you are formerly from uh, Kentucky and um this is really interesting that the current governor, Andy uh, Bashir, who uh, who defeated Matt Bevan, unfortunately, back in 2019, was up last month by about 16 points, far ahead of pro-life Attorney General Dan- Daniel Cameron. But the latest poll now from LifeSite News shows them at about 47% each. This is going to be a very close race. So I hope that everyone in Kentucky and also Mississippi today will get out and vote your value vote for pro-life, vote for conservatism, um, and all of that. But um, from from the perspective of an insider that knows Kentucky politics, um, this is really fascinating to me that both of these candidates are so close. What do you make of that? Well, okay. So, Jenna, I, I actually had the opportunity and the privilege to work for the former governor, Matt Bevin, and he did lose that race uh, by 4,700 votes. He lost it in Jefferson County, which is where Louisville is. It's this home of the Louisville Slugger Museum, um, you know, Papa John's, uh, Ford. They build the Explorers there, all that stuff. But he lost it there, and it was largely uh, it was it, it was in 2019, but it was largely due to issues he was having with teachers' unions and teachers' pensions within the state. Uh, and so he did not prevail. And, it, and actually, the, the, some of the issues, the frontline issues facing education had not come around nationally. Now that's a part of the national conversation. And it, it, it would be an interesting uh, bout today, uh, given the same kinds of issues that he was dealing with in 2019, he might prevail. In today's race, Andy Bashir is a very popular uh, governor, largely because of his family name, Steve Bashir was a two-time governor there. He's a lieutenant governor. He's, he's well-known uh, in Kentucky politics. Uh, Andy uh, is definitely a liberal, and he's a liberal, interestingly enough, in this bastion of republicanism uh, that was not the case just 10 years ago. Uh, but there were several wave elections that flipped the state assemblies. And so now, across the board, uh, there are six constitutional officers in the state Lieutenant Governor, you know, Ag Commissioner, State Treasurer, all of that, all of those offices, except for the governor, is held by Republicans. The Senate is held by Republicans. That the House is held by Republicans. They got everything they want. It's just Bashir is is the the only uh, sole Democrat. He and the Lieutenant Governor, the sole Democrats in the state. And so Daniel Cameron is the challenger. He's the current Attorney General. Uh, just a few years ago, Andy Bashir was the attorney general. He is absolutely pro-life in his convictions and his values. Uh, he is somebody who um, was the chief of staff uh, to Mitch McConnell. He's actually served in the Senate. Uh, so, you know, in fact, there, there is rumor, Jetta, that Daniel Cameron, if he were not to prevail in this fight uh, today, 
uh, he might actually run uh, as the, the heir to McConnell's seat later. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where I would not draw too many national implications, though many will, uh, about, you know, what does this have to do with Joe Biden? What does this have to do with what's going on in D.C.? Kentucky is unusual, uh, you know, as a state in that it, it really, really does come down to local issues. And when Andy Bashir was handling COVID, he failed and failed miserably. And there was a public backlash. When it came to disaster relief, uh, just, just last year, there was major flooding. Uh, there were, there were, because of the, the, the hurricanes that kind of swept through and, and, and storm systems, and uh, he handled that with flying colors. And so many people locally are now up on Andy Bashir. But the ta- the, as, you, as you quote the uh, poll uh, from just earlier today, the, the race has tightened, as all races do on Election Day. It is dead even. Uh, we'll see if Daniel Cameron actually wins and comes out on top. But I would see, I would predict that uh, if he does, you're going to see a lot of uh, conservative legislation coming out, finally being uh, signed. Certainly there are um, overrides right now in the House. They have numbers. They have a supermajority to override the governor's pen and the governor's veto. But uh, with a Republican governor, it still changes a lot in that state. It does. And I'm speaking with uh, Ryan Helfenbein, who is the executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center at Liberty University and also the vice president of communications. And Ryan, this is why I love um, an insider's perspective into state level politics um, from someone who has been there and who knows all of the players, because you're absolutely right that a lot of people do draw national implications from governor's races and some of these other uh, more high profile statewide races, um, like some of the um, you know, some of the other things like like even senators and and so forth. Um, and and that's not necessarily accurate because when you go to every state, there's always local issues. There are always local players. If we look at um, Mississippi's governor race as well, um, with Tate Reeves, who's trying to win a second term, and his challenger, Brandon uh, Presley, who's the cousin of um, mm-hmm. Elvis Presley, you know, there are some very interesting local issues there as well. Um, abortion and pro-life are also um, among some of the differences here. But this is why I think it's so important for everyone listening to really be engaged in your local state as well. Know the local history, the local issues, the local players, um, your local um, whether, you know, if it's GOP, if that if that's your party, if it's independent, whatever it is, um, to make sure that you understand uh, what's going on. And also the fact that, that you have an election today. There are a lot of people even who aren't aware of that because they're so myopically focused on the presidential election next year. That, and this is why we have lower turnout in non-presidential election years. And so um, I hope that everyone um, who is listening, who is from uh, Mississippi and and also from Kentucky, recognizes um, that this is an important election. And and as you said, Ryan, um, just to underscore this, the governor absolutely matters. We can look at the whole COVID fiasco and see the differences between uh, how that was handled. But then also with pro-life legislation and with other conservative legislation, because if you have a governor that's going to just veto whatever comes out and you don't have a supermajority, then you can't really get anything done. So what's your encouragement um, for how people who may 
may not have your background and experience actually working for a sitting governor um, to engage in local politics and get involved on the local level? I would look at school board races. Uh, you know, there, there are going to be some, many today, and, 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 and folks who are voting today in Virginia, New Jersey, Mississippi, Kentucky. Uh, look at those local uh, school board races. That is a great place to get involved. In fact, in many ways, those school board races, Jenna, as you know, um, they help to lift what's taking place, not only at the county level, the local level, but also the state level. Uh, when, when, when those ballots come in and, and people are, are concerned about what seats might be up for grab, what propositions might be on that ballot, you know, what, uh, you know, what's the makeup of, of those local boards? Look at that. Also, city council, uh, th- those races. We have, a, we have a mayor right now uh, in the city of Lynchburg, uh, Virginia, who just three years ago, uh, was a stay-at-home veteran mom, uh, you know, Air Force. Her husband uh, retired Air Force. Um, you know, very, very involved in church life. Very, very involved in um, what's going on here at Liberty University. Decides to run. Uh, just decide, not on a whim, but a calling. Felt a calling. Felt, um, you know, a tug at her heart and the conviction that uh, she wanted to make uh, the place she called home better. She did run. And she ran for city council. And then within just a couple of short months after uh, winning her council seat, she was actually voted in as mayor. And so that, there, there are people all across the country for whom that is true. Uh, they felt the call of God. They, they, they were concerned about what was happening around them locally. Uh, they were not as concerned about – they certainly were all concerned about the scandals that are coming out of D.C., uh, but what you see in local politics is that if we do focus on our locality, our city, our, our township, you know, where we come from, the place we call home, if we focus on that and trying to make that a better place, we really can change this country nationally and, it, and, and have broad sweeping implications in national races. But, um, but I would even say you mentioned, uh, in, you know, the, the race down in Mississippi, Tate Reeves. Uh, that should be one that uh, he's winning handedly. I think that based on those polls, uh, he probably will. Uh, but the reason it is a tight and close race is it has to do with, yet again, another local issue. And, and, and he was tangled up in, in a scandal uh, more recently, uh, going back to when he was lieutenant governor and misuse of, of welfare funds. And uh, you have name recognition and notoriety from his Democratic challenger, Brandon Presley. Again, all of these things are local, and while we, we will see the Gateway Pundits, uh, you know, tomorrow and, and elsewhere, you know, uh, Beltway guys who will say, oh, well, this, this has implications on Biden. This is all about Biden, or, or this is all about former President Donald Trump. And we got to leave it there, but Ryan Helfenbein, Standing for Freedom Center. You can go to standingforfreedom.com. Make sure you get out and vote in these states today. We'll be right back with more.
want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And just to reiterate, today, Tuesday, November 7th, we have critical elections in Kentucky, Mississippi, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. More on Ohio issue one, uh, which is the extreme abortion measure coming up in the next segment. Uh, but right now, I want to welcome back to the show uh, Joel Rosenberg, our very dear friend who is in Jerusalem reporting on all that is going on uh, between Israel and Hamas. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of All Israel News, and he is the host of the Rosenberg Report on TBN. So good morning, um, Joel. Well, and I guess it's probably good afternoon by now there. Um, so what is the latest uh, going on in Israel? And what can you tell us from the ground there? Hey, Jenna, great to be with you. Um, well, I would say several things would be the, the top headlines. First, that uh, Israel's um, uh, military move to crush and eradicate the Hamas terror threat in Gaza is going well. It's been painful. Uh, last night I attended the uh, what's called a shiva. Uh, it's a gathering for people to mourn with someone who's lost, uh, you know, somebody to death. And, and my producer for the Rosenberg Report on TBN, his nephew was killed in combat in uh, Gaza just uh, last week. And so for seven days, people gather at, at the family's home, and literally thousands have come to their home. Um, and his name was Adi. And uh, may his name be remembered, because he was only 20 years old and uh, just a just a terrible loss. But but the fight, as painful as it is, is going well. Israel has surrounded Gaza City and is penetrating uh, deeper and deeper into the terror strongholds. And um, so that's successful. But I would say, on the downside, uh, the world pressure and, and international media attacks against Israel are increasing. And Russia is turning to aside 100% with Iran and Hamas. So that's a very, very dangerous problem. 
And uh, Jill Rosenberg, I, you know, you predicted this actually in one of the very first conversations we had after the October 7th attack um, to say that as soon as Israel is uh, retaliates and defends itself, that um, the mainstream media, the leftist media and, and some of the uh, the world attention is going to be negative toward Israel. And um, and you're absolutely right. And I find that um, to be you know really disturbing in a, in a sense that there is such an anti-Israel and anti-Semitic sentiment um, that is prolific throughout throughout the world. And um, and even here in America as well, when you see um, some of the people on the on the national stage, especially on the Democrat side, um, like, for example, the um, the stepdaughter of Vice President Kamala Harris, who is, you know, raising money for uh, for Palestine and uh, and to suggest that um, that this this type of anti-Semitic sentiment um, isn't there, I think, you know, wouldn't be looking accurately at the world politics going on. So for people who want to to pay attention to this and obviously support Israel like um, our AFR family does, um, you know, you obviously have all Israel news, which is giving um, great, you know, on the ground reporting. Um, so I always encourage people to go there to look at your updates. Um, but how should how should we look at any other news source and understand where the bias is? I mean, even how to recognize it, first of all. Sure. Uh, well, thank you, first of all, Jenna. And yes, people can go to allisrael.com. Again, allisrael.com to find all Israel news. And these are professional journalists, uh, Israeli uh, and, and others. Uh, working around the clock to actually produce real, solid journalism um, and, and that, that you can trust. And it's all run by evangelical Christian journalists. Uh, not every person that works for us is an evangelical, but, but, it, but the, we have a biblical worldview in what we do. So I hope that's helpful. When, when you're watching the mainstream media, um, the, you, you, well, the first question is why. Why are you doing that? <laughs> because, it's, because you're spending so much time um, a person is having spent so much time trying to figure out what's the bias of the producer, the editor, the network, that, you know, and, and it takes an enormous amount of effort. You recall um, uh, our dear friend Rush Limbaugh. I was his friend for more than 20 years. I worked as his research director. Rush used to tell us, right, don't bother watching the mainstream media. I'll watch it for you and, you know, and show you the crazy things they say and show you why they're wrong and what the truth is. And then you can relax a little bit because you're not being, you know, inundated with falsities and, and slander all the time. It's exhausting. But if you, if you insist, uh, not you personally, but if a person in your audience insists, I'm, no, I'm going to watch uh, CNN. I'm going to watch MSNBC. I'm going to read the New York Times, the Washington Post. You have to start with asking yourself always, um, what are the questions they're not asking? So I go back to the bombing of the hospital in Gaza just a few weeks ago, where immediately the hospital is bombed and Hamas puts out a statement blaming Israel. Now, of course, you expect the enemy to say that, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's propaganda. But for the New York Times to immediately run that as the banner headline, Israel bombs hospital, is, shows you the bias already that you literally can't trust the world's most important, historically, newspaper, because first, they take um, a press release from a genocidal enemy, and they immediately think it's true. Secondly, they, they didn't even question the premise, right? The premise being, why would Israel bomb a hospital? 
I mean, maybe it was an accident. Maybe their, their missile went awry. But they didn't even ask that question. They didn't even think, maybe the, maybe the enemy is lying. Right? It didn't even dawn on them because it went to a preconception, a presupposition that, of course, Israel's the monster. Israel is the problem. And, of course, Israel bombed the hospital. But within hours, we proved with 10 different videos and intercepts of uh, phone conversations between Hamas operatives admitting to themselves and not realizing they were being listened to by Israeli intelligence that they had bombed the hospital. So, but that's why it's almost impossible, Jenna, unless, you're, unless you spend your whole life looking at why the media is the way they are. It's very, very difficult. And so you see a headline, and most people don't even read the story, right? Mm-hmm. But immediately you think, well, that's the New York Times. That's pretty trustworthy. No, it's not. Uh, they actually have an agenda. They have positioned themselves as hating Israel. And then I'll give you one other example. But it, when you're listening to people interview Israeli officials, and so, for example, um, uh, the BBC was interviewing for Israel's former Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, okay? Bennett himself, former Special Forces commando, a commander in our Special Forces unit, our Defense Minister, and then recently our Prime Minister. So I interviewed him this past week for the Rosenberg Report, and we talked specifically about this issue of bias. But he was on, he was on, he's been on many shows, but this one in particular, and the, and the the anchor just kept asking, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And don't you realize this? And, don't... and he finally said, wait a minute, do you, do you realize that you haven't asked me a single question about the Israeli civilians that were butchered, beheaded, burned alive, shot in the face, um, you know, babies burned alive, put in an oven? You literally haven't asked me a single question in this entire interview about Israeli civilians. You only are asking about the, the, the concerns about Palestinian civilians. And we care about those Palestinian c- civilians, but Hamas doesn't. But why aren't you even asking why we're having to be in this war because of the, the savagery that has been inflicted? And she says, she's like, oh, I asked you from the beginning. That's not true, Mr. Bennett. I asked you from the beginning about the, the Israeli hostages. He said, no, I'm not talking about the hostages. I'm talking about our civilians. You are only talking about the Palestinian civilians as though we don't care. We do care. It's not our policy to kill civilians. It is the policy of Hamas to murder and burn alive and behead our civilians. But you don't even ask about that. Shame on you. It was a very, very powerful moment. But it's, but it's like you could be watching an interview and you don't even realize, Jenna, often most people don't realize that Israeli Leaders, officials, citizens are being prosecuted as though we're on the witness stand on the defense when we've had the worst slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. And it's, it's just tough for people to, to keep all that in mind when they're not, most Americans, this isn't the number one thing they're thinking about right now. Yeah, very perceptive, um, Joel Rosenberg, and I think, yeah, well, no, and and I think um, that all speaks to how we need to recognize as Christians that worldview plays into everything that the media does. Everyone has a worldview or the law would call it basic assumptions, right? And and these, um, these basic views 
and biases. And, uh, you know, someone listening to this program, for example, would know I have a worldview. I have a bias of loving truth, of loving Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to analyze things from a conservative Christian perspective. And you're going to get that view in terms of analyzing the day's news, right? And people know that and and people are very willing, mainstream media is willing to point that out when it comes to Christians and conservatives, when it comes to Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, they're willing to manipulate and twist everything that he has said over the course of his public career um, to try to confine him into, you know, this ridiculous box. But we often don't stand back and say, okay, what is the bias of this particular anchor or show or print media piece? And, you know, President Trump, Trump was one of the only uh, people to effectively challenge that and in his press conferences call out that bias. And I loved it. And I thought he did such a great job. And people are more aware of that in you know the common um, parlance now because of that. And I think that it's just a good reminder. Right, just the phrase fake news became yeah. a global phrase that has been used all over the world now, certainly here in Israel. It's a phrase that Rush Limbaugh would use and other talk radio show hosts would use, but it wasn't something a president of the United States would, would talk about directly to the face of the reporters. But that was helpful because it reminded people, all Americans, yeah, actually, that's a good point. That's, this isn't true, what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And, the, and that we can also view headlines. We don't have to just believe everything that we're told. We can read with suspicion and have a suspect um, attitude towards the headlines and, and toward um, each of the authors. I mean, anytime I read a piece, no matter what the uh, publication is, I always look at the byline or who is the author to say, okay, what position are they coming from? Because some, you know, even there are some good writers at Politico, there are some that are not so great, and we need to be aware of all of those. And, um, but in, in the last uh, five minutes or so that I have with you, Jill Rosenberg, um, one of the headlines that you have from All Israel News um, that, that was just posted about six hours ago um, talks about in day 31 of the war, um, how Israel struck over 450 Hamas targets in 24 hours eliminated Hamas commanders. And so um, in cooperation with Israel, Jordan airdropped humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip. So as you're continuing to report this, um, I, I think people are also asking this question. When we look at the, and people just because of the nature of the timeline, people are contrasting what's going on in Israel to Ukraine and Russia and how there isn't really an end goal or an understanding of when that conflict might end. Is there a better potential prediction of how long um, this war in Israel might last? Um, and is there a, a goal in terms of um, what Israel's leadership has articulated? Yeah. um, So let me break that into several pieces. The first, let's start with the goal. The goal is to eradicate the Hamas military and government system and and thus threat that exists in the Gaza Strip and has existed for, um, you know, almost two decades. Okay, that's the goal, that literally Hamas cannot exist as as an organization, much less as a government, when this is over. Because people who are calling for a ceasefire, for example, that's another big issue right now. Well, why don't you have a ceasefire? Which, you know, if you're not really paying attention, that sounds, that sounds makes sense. We don't want war, so why don't we have a ceasefire? But this is only one month into the war. Nobody called for a ceasefire against Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda one month after they 
brought down the World Trade Center and just, you know, and, and hit the Pentagon, right, killing 3,000 Americans and internationals. A, a month in, you call for a ceasefire? That, you know, that, that, would, that would have been insane, right? Or Pearl Harbor, right? Nobody called for a ceasefire one month after Japan hit us. No, you have to go to war and you have to win. So we are winning. And the, and the story that's not getting told in the media is Israel is winning because we're, we're fighting hard. And we have moved most, the vast, vast majority of Palestinian civilians have moved south. We are uh, permitting humanitarian relief to get to them. We're even working with our Arab allies uh, to help that, even though they're being very critical of us. So those are good things um, to, to crush terrorists and to provide humanitarian relief and protect as many civilians as humanly possible, given that they're being used as human shields. Those are those are um, those are themes of what's happening right now that that nobody's actually reporting because they're making it sound like we're indiscriminately bombing. That's what Senator Bernie Sanders is saying. That's what Rashida Tlaib is saying. That's what AOC is saying. This is what so much of the media thinks. We're we're just sort of bombing because we have nothing better to do. The next question is the timing. And I'll say this. um, I don't know how long it will take because there are literally hundreds of miles of terror tunnels under the Gaza Strip. Rather than building, you know, beautiful homes and hotels and beachfront property on the Mediterranean, making a passing paradise, Hamas has created a terror infrastructure that's all subterranean. So that's where all those missiles are kept. That's where all the bombs are kept. That's where all that's where their troops, their terror troops are kept. So you not only have to get into the Gaza Strip, then you have to get into the tunnels. And then you and that's also where many Maybe most, maybe all of our hostages are being held. So it's a very complicated thing. But I'll say this, Jenna. Every time the United Nations uh, Secretary General or, or world leaders of any kind put pressure on Israel to stop, the war is going to go longer. Okay? What they should be doing is saying we stand with Israel. I was just at the, at the border of Gaza yesterday, uh, two days ago, sorry, with... Um, with former Prime Minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, and Australia's former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, to show solidarity and to see the apocalyptic devastation wrought. And and we've got to end it there. Joel Rosenberg, thanks so much. Um, As always, we'll be right back with more. Leisha had found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and wasn't sure what to do. She searched for pregnancy services and found a pre-born network clinic where she was counseled, supported, and offered a free ultrasound. After seeing her baby and hearing the heartbeat, she cried. She was certain she would keep her baby forever. Leisha gave birth to a baby girl who is smart, beautiful, and full of life. Often, she visits that same clinic and receives free clothes, diapers, and more. Because of your generous support, Preborn writes 200 stories just like these every day. $28 can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection and doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers in crisis choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. 
Welcome back. And we have been talking about the important elections today across the country today, uh, Tuesday, November 7th. And Ohio will vote on abortion today. So according to the Washington Post, speaking of uh, some bias in journalism, uh, but their headline is on Tuesday, voters across the country will head to the polls for Election Day. And while elections and the issues on the ballots cover a lot of ground, there's one big theme running through the elections, abortion. And in a state such as Ohio, abortion is explicitly on the ballot. Ohio voters will determine abortion access, or as we would call it, uh, murder of unborn children, uh, which Washington Post won't call it, on a ballot measure called Issue 1. So if it passes, the measure would guarantee abortion access up to the point of fetal viability. Um, And Fox News said last month, a bipartisan group of 100 black pastors signed a letter opposing Issue 1, writing that it is, quote, more extreme than Roe versus Wade and, quote, will allow for painful late-term abortions through all nine months of pregnancy, even after an unborn baby can feel pain. So if you are voting your values and you are in Ohio, then uh, issue one needs to be a no. So joining me now to discuss this and all things pro-life is our very dear friend, Frank Pavone, who is the director of Priests for Life and the national co-chair of Pro-Life Voices for Trump. So good morning, my friend. And how important is this to the state of Ohio and overall the pro-life community and advocacy of this issue? Well, hi, Jenna. It's always good to be with you. And it's, uh, well, the importance of it is uh, that the pro-abortion people are trying to put into the state constitutions what they just lost in the federal constitution. Uh, The Supreme Court said in Dobbs, there is no constitutional right to abortion. And, you know, in making that decision, they not only were referring to the federal constitution, they explicitly said never in any state constitution in its development or its history or its interpretation has, has, has there ever been asserted a right to abortion. So well, the importance of this is that it's going to test really how well the other side can fool the public. And I say fool the public because the people of Ohio have already spoken about what kind of limits they think there should be on abortion. The people, through their duly elected representatives in the legislature and their governor, enacted a heartbeat bill. In fact, Ohio is the place where the heartbeat legislation started. Now, of course, these things always go into litigation, and it's not in effect right now. But nevertheless, the will of the people has been made known through the legislatures. And that's how Dobbs said this should be decided. What they're trying to do today, the pro-abortion forces, is bypass the legislative process, fool people into what I call soundbite voting, where they don't understand exactly how extreme the measure is that they're enacting. And if this happens, then (laughs) the people can't even have these babies claim this through another constitutional process. Yeah, and and Frank um, Pavone, as as you were speaking, you know, this reminds me of um, exactly what happened with the Obergefell versus Hodges decision, right? Because we, uh, with the issue of same-sex marriage, where we had um, 30-plus states that had state-level constitutional amendments that said that the state would only recognize um, a marriage between one man and one woman, and the Supreme Court overturned that, and 
and and I would argue unconstitutionally. I think you know conservatives and originalists would argue um, that decision was flawed in its inception, similarly to Roe. But what's fascinating about this is that. Um, that the the leftists and the Democrats all celebrated this and said, well, too bad for constitutional amendments. This Supreme Court decision uh, trumps that and it is it is binding. And so too bad for you. We're going to force these states to recognize same sex marriage. But yet now when we have the Dobbs decision that they don't prefer, now they're trying to on the back end go and codify this essentially in their state constitutions that according to them, a Supreme Court opinion should overturn anyway. So, I mean, it's it's so mind-bogglingly hypocritical of them that whatever their political policy preference, they will say, oh, a constitutional amendment is binding or a Supreme Court opinion is binding. And right. it just matters on right. which one they prefer at any given time. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Whatever, whatever their, whatever their convenience is. And you know, Jenna, it's way more, it's way more radical than people realize. Uh, as you, as you said, uh, the, the proposed amendment says, uh, let abortion happen until, until viability. However, here's what it also says. While abortion may be prohibited after viability, it may not in in the professional judgment of the pregnant patient's treating physician, it is necessary to protect the pregnant patient's life or health. Two things to point out about that. Number one, viability, three things. Number one, viability is not defined. Number two, healthcare um, tre- treating physician is not defined. So if you're talking about the abortionist, it's in his or her best interest to do that late-term abortion. They're going to get $25,000. Uh, uh, if they do the late-term abortion. And, and third, health is not defined. You know, in some of the, um, the pro-life laws that have been passed, health is clearly defined as the uh, irreparable damage to a major bodily function. But health is not defined that way here, and so therefore many of the courts will fall back on the, the, the Doe v. Bolton decision of health, which has prevailed in abortion decisions for, for 50 years, Namely, oh, uh, she's too young, or she's anxious about the pregnancy, or the family doesn't have family support, and that's making her nervous. Or, you know, it, conclu- it includes all factors, age, uh, emotion, uh, family, etc. So in other words, this is abortion on demand. This is unrestricted abortion until birth. Moreover, the amendment also would allow a child to get a transgender surgery without the parents even knowing about it. Because the amendment talks about any decision regarding reproductive health and talks about an individual, not an adult. So the wording of the amendment is any individual has a right to make these reproductive decisions without any interference. So we're talking about eviscerating parental rights of all kinds, not only about abortion, but about any kind of intervention regarding reproduction. This is really extreme. Wow, it is. And and it's it's amazing how the left and the pro-abortion advocates aren't talking about that. They're wanting to make this seem like it's just until a viability, like like the article that I just read from the Washington Post that you know talks about oh abortion access and you know this is so benign. This is just protecting um, you know the, a woman's choice after you know uh, or you know viability and all of that instead of genuinely advocating for what they really want, which is state-funded abortion on demand. They never say that because they know that it is so heinous that they're not going to tell the truth about that. And as soon as you read um, that that term health in there, I mean, we know how manipulated 
that term has been for uh, the left and for courts. And, you know, talk about to speak about the health. That's not just um, the life of the mother, um, like, you know, some including, for example, President Trump, who who wants that type of exception and some conservatives um, and even Christians want that type of exception. Um, this is talking about things that, oh, well, even if it's just economic health or even if it's just right. mental health or, you know, I mean, you can right. literally shoehorn any reason that a mother might want and want to seek an abortion into that term. So um, so this is really important for people to recognize. And, you know, when we looked at what happened um, with the the pro-choice legislation that unfortunately failed in Ohio, what is your prediction on uh, the outcome of this issue one? Has it been broadcast enough to the state of Ohio and conservatives there that we expect a, a good turnout? Well, we hope so. Uh, one of the things I can say confidently is that the level of support for issue one in Ohio has been going down since the summertime. And, um, and, and that, that's what tends to happen when you're pushing a no vote. When you're pushing a no vote, time is in your favor, because the more time people have to think about it, they start saying, well, initially it sounded good, but gee, I didn't realize that it meant that a parent couldn't be involved in a minor's decision, or I didn't realize that it included transgender. So now as time goes on, uh, the no vote increases. Now, if it, if it indeed passes, that would be a big problem. But we have to look also at by what margin does it pass, because, you know, one of the things we've been doing at Priests for Life is, is, is bringing together the national pro-life leaders and saying, look, every state battle is a national battle. I mean, this is obviously a national battle. It's been getting national attention. But does every national group have their people activated to help Ohio? Uh, phone calls, uh, people flying into the state, knocking on doors, uh, 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 spreading things on social media. I mean, we've been doing this, and I think it's been having an impact. So the level of support has been going down the, the gap has been closing because in the summer there was a, 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 a large gap, you know, in favor of this issue one. Because, again, on its surface, it sounds good, but then you start learning about it. So is it going to be enough? It's going to all depend now on turnout. I mean, you know, you know as well as I how these elections work. And right now, yes, the messaging is still important, but everybody in the sound of our voice, you know somebody in Ohio, or even if you don't, use social media to say, listen, Get a friend, get two friends, get 10 friends, just spend as much time today as possible getting out the vote in Ohio, because ultimately it's a numbers game, and uh, we got to get people out to the, uh, to the voting booth. Oh, voting's been going on for weeks now, uh, and hopefully people have utilized early voting, but today's the day to bring it across the finish line. Yeah, really, really well said. Uh, Frank Pavone, um, who is the director of Priests for Life, and... Um, you know, it, it is such an important issue, and when we think about the the attention and the time that is spent on, you know, national elections, particularly the presidential elections and the primaries, I mean, that is daily in the mainstream media's narrative and conversation, and that's a year from now. 
Um, I mean, the primaries obviously will be uh, will be sooner than that, but the national election, and that matters. We need to talk about that, obviously. But this is why it is, again, so important to understand what's going on in your home state and also in other states um, because social media is a powerful tool. And if we had every single person who is listening to this show right now, even if you only have, you know, a couple hundred friends on Facebook, um, you never know who will share and continue to share. And it can reach enough people that if someone didn't know or wasn't aware that this is on the ballot or maybe they were confused about it um, and didn't know the the rhetoric and um, the, the terms that are actually in this um, and how they can be abused, then that is just continuing to educate voters and encouraging turnout. And um, Frank Pavone, as you said, I mean, this always is just a matter of turnout. And it's always shocking to me how leading up to Election Day, even though people know Election Day is coming, leading up to it, it's like day of. I'll, I'll get a ton of emails, phone calls, text messages, all this saying, hey, who should I, you know, who should I vote for? And what is this yeah. measure? And, uh, you know, should I in Colorado, yeah. you know, should I retain these judges? And, and people don't do their homework ahead of time. And we really need to be better engaged citizens um, for that reason. So in just the last few minutes I have with you, um, overall, how um, how is the pro-life advocacy movement going on a state by state basis? Because we see a lot coming from Washington, but that's almost Washington centric. How are the states doing in terms of um, helping advance the pro-life cause? The overall picture, and, and, and I have a great uh, a position here because not only because of my travels, but the meetings of leaders that we organize. Uh, overall, I'm excited. I see people waking up. Tonight I'm flying to Michigan. Tomorrow is the Michigan uh, uh, March for Life that I'll be uh, participating in. Uh, just the day, two day, three days ago, I had a meeting with Florida pro-life leaders. There's a similar amendment here that the pro-abortion people want to introduce for next year. And we were we, we were meeting together and strategizing how to stop that. Um, all the states, uh, to one extent or another, the movement is getting stronger. People are getting more activated. I don't want people to be discouraged if they see these different ballot amendments passing, because you've got to put that next to all the legislative prog- pro- progress uh, we've got, I mean, right here in Florida, we had the 15-week bill, and then the following year, which was this year, the, the, the six-week bill. I mean, we're making progress everywhere. And uh, legislatively, we've got over a dozen states that are protecting babies right from the beginning of their lives. So we are, we are on the winning track. There's going to be bumps in the road, but I'm encouraged, Jenna, overall. And uh, I want to encourage folks in regard to Ohio there's a special website, endabortionohio.us, endabortionohio.us. And as they follow our advice today and get the messaging out there, that's the website they can utilize. And again, let's get the vote out, uh, not only in the Ohio thing, but the elections going on across the country. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much, um, Frank Pavone, for your work, your commitment to pro-life advocacy and for the fundamental God-given freedom and the right to life. This is the foundational issue, as you and I talk about uh, so often, that absolutely matters. It is our first freedom. 
we have to continue to protect that and advance it at every single opportunity. So if you are in Ohio today or you have friends in Ohio, again, um, make sure that you are getting out and voting your values today. Um, So last thing as we wrap up this program today, we also want to send the good news of Jesus Christ to children around the world through a simple shoebox gift. Every shoebox is a gift um, and an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ and God's love. And this is through SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC to learn more and find a drop-off location near you. And so um, this is a milestone year as Operation Christmas Child is celebrating its 30th year of ministry. It started in 1993. And this is a direct way for you to equip the local church around the world. Operation Christmas Child's local ministry partners, a simple shoebox, Go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.